Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. And this morning I will be reading scripture for you. This passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 to 9. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. In church. I have a question for you. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Here's my best stab. Mountains that you can snowboard on and then in the same day go to the beach. Ocean, surf and turf for dinner, live rock and roll in the evening. Some of you are like golf. Um... Yeah, country music and vegan cafes. That's the other place. (laughs) Right? We all know what the devil's music is. Okay, all right. Look, whatever you might think, it's like if you grew up in the church or any kind of faith background, or even if you didn't, when the question of heaven or nirvana or whatever that place is going to be comes up, we, we do imagine that it's a place of some kind. Right, And we all have our best image of what it might be, or there's that, if you watch that show, The Good Place, or whatever, like, there's this picture of like, this place and what it might be, we fill in the blanks and, and, and the gaps and, and what it'll be. But what's common, uh, regardless of your faith background, is that we kind of think it is a place that you go. Not now, but in the future, and kind of up there, but someday, one day. That seems to be the common understanding when we talk about after we die or when we die, like up there, out there, someday, one day, place in the future. And if that's true, if that's generally what we think about heaven, then it actually brings up a more important question that uh, uh, religion tends to debate on, and not about whether there will be streets of gold. The question is, what are the entrance requirements? That, that becomes the question, right? If heaven is a place that we go, and, and hopefully that, again, whatever your faith background is, you may say, well, I, ho- I think I want to go there, like whatever it's described as, I think it is a place I would want to go. Then the question is, well, who dis- like how, how do you know whether you get to go there? What are the entrance requirements for getting in? And there's many different answers that different religions have, but it is the question that, in a sense, religion mostly tries to offer, right, of some kind, including the Christian religion. 
do these things, and the promise is you'll get in in the end. You'll get in. And I would like to suggest that this kind of thinking has done a lot of damage both to those who are in and those who are, quote, out. Because when you think about heaven or God's place as a place that some people get into based on certain things and other people don't, here's what it does to the people inside. It can lead to pride for the people inside. Oh, like I, I did the things, I checked the box, I, I belong in. Whatever those things might be, I've done them. And as long as I do them, then I, I feel good. And so it can lead to a sense of self-satisfaction or pride or even a judgmental attitude towards those who aren't in or those who are trying to do the things that you seem to be doing better and you think, well, you're not quite there. I'm not really sure if you're in. An in and out mentality can actually breed a sense of pride and a judgmental attitude towards those outside. It can also lead to a sense of fear. Am I in? Have I done enough? I've met many people who one of the reasons or that, that they feel still so tied to religion is this sense of fear. Like, oh, I don't know, like when I uh, you know, meet someone and I tell them what, what I do, uh, they'll almost immediately start confessing the last time they went to whatever the place of worship is in their religion. Like immediately. Oh, oh pastor, oh, I haven't been to church. Oh, I got to go to temple this week. Or, like there's just this thing, right? There's this, oh, I, I got to do the things to make sure I, I stay in. Some of you grew up in a faith system that was like that. It was like, hey, you haven't been here. Are you sure you're in? And whatever those things are. And so it can lead to either sometimes pride or a judgmental attitude for those who are on the inside or fear, knowing whether you're in or out. But it also, can we just be honest, this kind of inside or outsider thing is killing the church. It's killing the church inside because of the attitudes towards each other and whether we think certain people deserve to be in. But it's also killing the church's impact in the world around it. Because people who approach a community that is defined by who's in and who's out immediately feel like, I don't belong. Now, you might think this is a rare kind of thinking, but like I regularly will have people say, can anyone come to your church? What does that mean? That means I'm not sure I belong. I, prob I probably have to wear certain clothes. I probably have to say certain things. We've all had that experience of being in a place where we kind of feel like, I don't really fit here. I don't belong. I don't know how things are supposed to work. Are people looking at me the wrong way? Is, is my, if they knew my story, if they knew what was going on, this is what insider, outsider thinking does to faith communities. It's killing the church. And you might say, well, didn't Jesus like, actually talk a lot about who's in and who's out? when it comes to like heaven or the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But didn't, didn't Jesus say that kind of stuff? He did. But if you read in any of the four biographies of the Gospels that we have of Jesus, and note closely when he was having those conversations and who he was having them with, you'll find it was always with people who were sure they were in. It was always with people who were sure they were in, and he was always sort of actually switching the script on them and they, to the point where they were saying, wait, you, you're saying I'm, I'm not in, and maybe other people will, will be in? He was always talking to people who, by their religion, had pushed away many people and said, you don't belong because you don't do these things. There was people who, by the, their own, they were self-righteous. They were proud of what they had become and the boxes they had ticked so that no they were in. And Jesus was constantly poking at them to the point where, at one point, his disciples saying, if this is true, is anyone in? That's a good question. 
was actually one of the reasons they killed Jesus, because he kept saying to the insiders who thought they were in, be careful, in fact, you might be on the outside. In some cases, he just came out and said, you, you actually belong to the devil, not to God, to the religious people. So take note when Jesus was talking about insider, outsider language. In fact, we can probably say, if you read the Gospels, that Jesus' primary preoccupation was not with who was in and who was out. John Ortberg, author and pastor, said it this way, what if salvation isn't mostly about getting us into heaven, but about getting heaven into us? You may say, oh, is that just a clever turn of phrase? What did Jesus say when he came, when he appeared on the scene? The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is among you. In other words, pointing to himself. But then he also said the kingdom of heaven is in you. It is within you. Jesus' concern was about a heaven that was beginning already, not a someday, one day place. And his concern seemed to be about getting heaven into us less than getting us into heaven because a place is not really the best word to describe what heaven is. It is a space, it is a reality, it is a way of being and living that has already begun now, which is why Jesus said, it's here, it's arrived, it's happening now. We're in this series called uh, Halfway to Heaven because we believe that that is actually true, that the moment Jesus came and began to form the church, he said, heaven has begun already now. We are meant to actually have a taste, an experience of heaven through the church, that the church, in a sense, is meant to be a taste and experience of heaven on earth, not the complete uh, fullness of it. In fact, we were talking in home group this week about how, why does it seem like somehow, sometimes we can experience or taste God so powerfully and then whew, it's gone. It is this, it's happening now, but we're not quite there. We're not all the way there. We're halfway there. We're whatever way there. It's already, but it's not yet. And this is what heaven means now. And what does it mean then for the church to be a community and a place where as you are a part of this community, whether you would say, yeah, this is my family, this is my home, or this is your first time here, that whatever your encounter with the church would be, it would be a taste of heaven on earth. And somehow you go, I think this is what it was meant to be. We're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches, a young church about 10 years old in the, in, the, in the city of Corinth, trying to explain to them, to help them understand what does it mean to be the church. And if you're a part of this church, if you're a part of this family, this is good for us to just know and to be reminded of. If you're coming and you're saying, I'm not even sure I want to be a part of this, or I used to be and I left and it's been a long time, that maybe you would actually go, oh, that's what this is. And maybe I might want that for my life. So the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Corinth. And there's a whole bunch of words in here, but I want to read them again because they're important for you. We're going to explain them. To the church of God in Corinth this is the opening address of uh, the first letter. To those sanctified in Christ and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given in Christ Jesus, for in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all knowledge, God confirming our testimony among you about Christ. 
Then he goes on, you don't lack any gift as you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end so you'll be blameless. God is faithful, the last verse. Who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is the church? Is it the community of people who are in? There are words up there like sanctified and holy that might immediately make us think about this inside-outside thing. In fact, the word, you may not even know what the word sanctified means. But the word holy, the word holy to usually in the world around us has a negative connotation. Oh, you're so holy. Someone says that to you. That's not a compliment in case you were like, wow, thank you so much. Right? That's, that's what people think. It, there's, it's associated with holier than thou, a holy roller. The word holy actually uh, brings to mind this insider-outsider thing. Oh, I couldn't be like, oh, look at you. You're so holy. You're so good. The word, those kind of words. But that's actually not what this passage is about at all. That's actually not what those words mean. Eight verses in the opening pages to a church, if you read the rest of it, that have forgotten what it meant to be the people of God. <laughs> like there was a lot of mess in this church. It should just make every church, you know, go, okay, we're not the only ones, right? But there's so many things that Paul tries to address in this letter, but he begins saying to them, reminding them to the church in Corinth, and then eight verses, eight times. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Eight times. To the church of God in Corinth, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus, eight times. In case you forgot what this is about. In case you forgot who you were. And you may say, okay, okay, I know. We talk a lot about Jesus. We sing a lot about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? So let's unpack that. Uh, authors, researchers, theologians, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch from Australia wrote this in their book, A Shaping of Things to Come. Really helpful analogy. In some farming communities, the farmers might build fences around their properties to keep their livestock in and livestock of neighboring farms out. But in rural communities where farms or ranches cover an enormous geographic area, fencing the properties out of the question. In our home of Australia, ranches are so vast that fences are superfluous. They don't do anything. Under these conditions, a farmer has to sink a bore and create a well, a precious water supply in the outback. It is assumed that livestock, though they will stray, will never roam too far from the well lest they die. As long as there is a supply of clean water, the livestock will remain close by. And this brings up the question as to whether the church is a community marked by fences or marked by a well. See, fences, in a fenced-in community, the boundary is very clear, but the middle's fuzzy. The boundary's clear. Who's in, who's out? Where are the line? Where's the line? That's what's clear. That's what the focus of a community marked by a fence is who are the insiders outside. We need to know it's clear so that those inside know they're in and those outside are kept out or know they don't belong. Right? That's what a fence does. It's very clear at the boundary. And there's something comforting in religious communities about having fences. We like fences. They're clear. They're specific. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. How many times do I need to be at church? How many times do I need to be at synagogue? How many times do I need to? Just tell me what it is. That's why people like religion. It's comforting. I don't have to think. I just have to do. Give me the list. Whatever it is, I'll try to do my best to get there. That's what offense is. That's why people like it. 
It's clear. It's simple. And religious communities have all kinds of fences, whether they're about how often you attend, whether it's about what clothes you wear when you attend, how much money you give, what kind of behavior you, you subscribe to or don't, the kind of life you live, maybe uh, communion, baptism, or whatever. I know maybe some of you have that experience when you're like taking that step or whatever. It's like, okay, well, if you check these boxes, these are things to, they demarcate the area. We even use language like crossing the line of faith. Like I'm not, I was outside, now I'm inside, and that's, it was because I crossed that fence and that barrier. And that's my concern because if I know and if it's clear, then I know I'm in. And other people know they're out. But fences are deadly while they may be comforting. They're deadly because they push people away. Because people who approach a fence know, oh, I'm, I'm on the outside. I'm not supposed to be. Let's be honest, it isn't just a fence, it's a wall. Oh, I know I don't belong. I'm on the outside. It pushes people away. It can even push people away inside as we have conversations with each other about, oh, you don't actually belong because you're not behaving properly or you don't fit or you're, you, 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 I thought you belong in here because you do these things, but you're not doing those things, so maybe you don't belong. But even more deadly about offenses, while the boundary may be clear, the inside is fuzzy. In other words, once you're in, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you do once you're in, as long as you're in. And this was the problem in the Corinthian church, and this is problems, the problem with many churches. Is the one person on the inside of the fence is really three feet away in their life from the person outside of the fence. There's no difference in their marriage. There's no, there's no difference in the way they handle stress. There's no difference in the way they deal with their sex life. There's no difference in the way they deal with worry. It's the same because all that mattered was you crossed the boundary. But inside, it's fuzzy. There's no change actually happening. You're just in. And that's the deadliest part of communities marked by fences. The church is not meant to be a community marked by a fence. It's a community marked by a well. With a well, the boundaries are fuzzy, but the center's really clear. And Paul actually tells us what the center of the church is in verse 9. Look what he says. But you have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. That word fellowship, when I grew up, it was a word that meant there was food after church. That's what, they, that's what it meant, okay? But it's from a Greek word called koinonia, and it's actually, it's like relationship on crazy drugs. Like it's, I don't mean actually that. I mean, it's the kind of relationship that we would all want to have. It is a mind, soul, body, spirit, intimacy and relationship and friendship. And that word fellowship in the scriptures means not only with God, but as through God with each other. And so Paul is saying, this is nothing about offense. You have been invited. He actually uses the word called twice. He says, you are being called into a relationship. Defenses don't give life, but wells do. Relationship, or religion doesn't transform people, but this relationship does. You have not been invited to cross a boundary. You have been invited into the life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, the living water. That's what this is. 
He says, that's what it means to be the church. You are being called, invited in. And a community that is not marked by a boundary, but with a well at the center, the interest for everyone around it is, are we moving forward? Are we moving closer? Are we coming closer to the source of life and hope? Are we moving into the life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus? The boundary markers may be fuzzy. Where is everybody at? The center's really clear. And that's why Paul, addressing this church that was a sense, in a sense marked by boundaries and was having a lot of problems, begins in the opening of this letter saying, just so you remember who you are, you are a community called towards Jesus, called towards Jesus, given the grace of Jesus, given the knowledge of Jesus, called by Jesus. This is about the center. It's not about the fence. Why does this matter to us? Because the words sanctification and holy, you know, that, that Paul used at the beginning, they mean, the word sanctification means that you are being changed and transformed more and more to become like Jesus. He says, that's what you've been invited to, to become someone totally new. That word that we'd say, oh, does that mean in and out? No, it means you're being changed. The word holy means you are, in a sense, separate. But he says you're separate in the sense that you are people, you are someone who has realized, I am building my life, not marked out by fences, but around the well. I am building my life around Jesus. He is the one. As I come closer to him, I become more and more like him. And if that's true, then the more sanctified you are, the more holy you are, you're not going to push people away. People are going to be drawn to you because that's what happened when Jesus came. People were drawn to him. That If you read the Gospels, the description of the crowds, the crowds, the crowds, it's this mental picture of, think about it, people gathering around the one who said, I have, I have, I'm the bread of life. I am living water. The things you have been looking for are found in me. So the more sanctified or holy the church becomes, the more people flock to it and come towards it and are saying, what, is, what are you drinking? Like, I want some of that. How do I get closer to the center with you? And this is why this is so important. It changes the way actually you see everything in your life. It changes the way, if you're here for the first time, that you should even see, what is this all about? It changes the way we see baptism. Some of you have been baptized. Maybe you've been baptized here. We're not doing one today, but we, we pull out a horse trough. We fill it with water, and it sounds very holy right? And I always say it's not holy water. We just got it from the tap over there. We try to make sure the temperature's about 78, whatever. Sometimes we've been at 88. That's, we were over 90. I remember like we, we ran out of water in the old theater. So this one, we just run, we used to run the hot until it ran out. So we did that the first time we were here and we put the cover on it and then we took it off and it was like people getting in, they were like turning red all the way through. I'm like, oh no, this is not the desired effect. You know, <laughs> what is baptism? Is it a fence? Oh, I did that. Yep, I'm in now. It's not a fence. It's a well. It is, it is a taste. It is an experience. It is a reenactment of what Jesus says he does for you when you come to him. Your old life is gone. The new life has begun. 
It is an experience of the well. In that sense, it is one experience, but it is a part of your whole life of beginning to say, I am going to experience that new life in Jesus over and over and over again. Baptism is an offense. It's not a line you cross. Some of you are, are not getting baptized because you're like, oh, my life is not ready, whatever. Do you want more of him in your life? Do you want to become more like him? Do you want that source in you that will never run dry? Do you want new life? I don't know about you. I don't just need like tweaks to my person. I need a whole new life. I need to become somebody new. Baptism is not a fence. It's a well. Same with communion. There's some of you in your tradition called the host or the Eucharist or whatever. What is that? We even use terminology in the church like fence the table. Like we have to make sure people know whether they're taking or not. One of the only requirements in the scriptures for taking that is that when you come, that you don't have an issue and, a, and a unforgiveness with someone else in the, in the church. You're saying, don't, don't do this without mending the fences, at, you know, for, pardon the term, with other people in your, in your body. That's the only fence, is make sure this is real for you, because it's not a fence, it's a well. So we tell people, like some people come into church and like, oh, I don't feel good, I made a mess in my life, I can't take communion. Are you kidding me? You're supposed to run down if that's you. I need this. I'm a mess. Where's the well? Right? That's why I came for him, because he is at the center. It changes how the church looks at a sex-addicted, drug-addicted world. We have, we have epidemic levels of sex addiction, and the drug culture is growing. What does the church do? Oh, look at those people. I can't believe that. I can't believe they do this. No, you know what the church who understands this, that doesn't have fences but have a well at the center, looks out in the world and says, man, there's a lot of thirsty people out there. And says, wow, if you've been told you came from nothing, you're going to nothing when you die, and all you try to do is you only live once, so make the most of it. If you take God out of the center of life and say he doesn't exist, he's not there, people don't stop looking for transcendence. The orgasm becomes the new 30 seconds of heaven on earth. The drug trip becomes the new place to escape to somewhere heavenly for the evening or for the weekend. It doesn't stop. You take God out, we're still looking for God on the internet and in the heroin needle. It doesn't stop. And so the church that understands we are marked by a well at the center and not fences looks at people who are dealing with these things. It looks, and you look at yourself and say, I, I can still come to the well even though I'm a mess inside because that's why I'm coming. It isn't fences that I have to cross. It's a well that I need to come to to change my life. And that's how the, the church looks at a world like that. It's how we deal with the question people have been asking me you know, when, since pot was legalized. Oh, so is it okay to smoke? I remember uh, a few weeks ago, Halloween, our neighbors were having a party, Halloween party they'd invited us to. Jen was out with a friend, and I was home with the boys, and then uh, Noah wanted to go to bed early, so I put him to bed, and he was like, it was like 10 o'clock, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And I hear this <laughs> come from next door. I'm like, oh, yeah, Halloween party. And I had nothing. Like, it was not, I was just wearing a sweater and jeans. I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm not going to go. But then they'll be like, what? You didn't come because you didn't have a costume? Who cares? So I'll just go over. So I walked over. I didn't make it past the garage. There's a whole bunch of people in the garage having a smoke, talking. There's this one guy dressed as a minister. So then they're like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a minister. They're like, oh, you should wear what he's wearing, whatever. And he had this, like, Bible that opened up, and there was, like, a pipe inside or whatever. I was like, okay. So they're all smoking, and then they're smoking weed. So the, the wine, we're chatting, and the guy's like, oh, do you, oh, oh, do you, uh, do you, like, is that? I said, well, he said, well, oh, can you? I said, well, I can, but I don't. He's like, oh, that is good. <laughs> now, some of you are, are just going to hit pause and run out of here and start rolling. Oh, the minister said you can. 
Pot is not a fence, but that's what, that's what we ask when we live lives leaning on the fence. How far, how close can I get to it? Hey, can I get here? Because that's all I'm interested in. It's just, I'm in, so now how close to the fence? It's not a fence, but it's not a well either. It's a hole. You'll feel good for the night, but the next day the emptiness is still there and you're still thirsty. That's why it matters. I remember watching, I was watching a story this week with a, the lead guitarist from Corn, Brian Welsh, who was in Corn, left Corn, came back to Corn. But when he was sort of at the height of Corn had exploded, they were they were millionaires overnight, and he was a single dad uh, addicted to drugs. His real estate agent said to him, Brian, like, and this is gonna sound weird, but I think you need to come to church. He's like, okay, whatever, I'll go. He said, I'm sitting in church and the minister's preaching from Matthew 11 when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's like sitting there going. I'm heavy, I'm weary, I need rest. He said, I came home, took all my drugs, put them on the table, chopped up a line of coke, did it, like snorted it, so I'm high. He said, I threw up my hands, looked to heaven, I said, God, if you're real, just fill me now, because these things are going to kill me. It's not a well. He said, the love of God poured into my heart. He said, it was like flushing through my system. He said, I just took all the drugs the next day and threw them out, because I knew I'd found the riffing. Friends, it's a well, it's living water, it's the bread of life we need, not a fence that we know whether we're inside or outside. What difference does it make if you say to someone, well, I'm 20 feet closer from the well, if you're not drinking from it? Who cares? Jesus said, I came that you might have life to the full. Our lives are meant to be marked by a pursuit of the well that we know will not run dry, of living water that when we taste it, we are ruined for everything else, that begins to fill our soul to the bottom, unlike all of the other stuff that we try and that comes up short. Paul says this is what it means to be the church of God. You have been called into relationship. You have been invited to come close to Jesus. As a community, it means that we expect the mess. That's actually one of our core values. We expect the mess. We know. We know we are not insiders. We are all people who are thirsty. Everyone is thirsty. We're all in the same boat. I don't know about you, but every day I'm looking to lesser things to satisfy me when I know only Jesus does. And every day I say, oh, God, like, you are every, you're everything I need. I got to come closer again. I got to come closer. When we live without a view of the fence but of the well, our primary concern is for ourselves is, am I moving closer to the well? Am I moving closer into that life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus? And how do I bring other people with me? We expect a mess. We're all thirsty people. We're all moving towards the center. That is our concern as the church. As I was praying this morning, uh, I, I get up on Sundays usually and just try to pray through my message. And I just try to pray for God, like, what are you saying? What, like, this is, this is just empty words without you. What is it you want to say? And I felt like he's going to say, hey, there's people here. There's some of you here that you've been thinking about this as a fence and you're not sure. It's like, no, you actually need to decide today to say, no, I want that well to mark the center of my life from now on. That's what I want. You know, the moment it dawned on me that I needed to marry this girl that I was dating, it wasn't that I knew everything about her, could answer all the questions, and know it was going to be perfect, and therefore I should say yes. 
At that point, I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life finding out the rest. And on that day, I said to her, you and no other. You for the rest of my life. I will go to the end with you. And there are times when I have, in my heart, wandered away from that. When I have given up in my heart. Sometimes, you know, you have an argument, throw up your hands. At that point, what's keeping me married? Oh, well, I have this, this certificate that I said, you know, I'm going to call it the province. Am I still married? That's the fence. No! It's the life at the center that I know is changing me, that I go, I'm back in this again, again, again. This is what it means to come to Jesus. And for some of you, you just need a day where you're saying you and no other. I'm not going to build my life around anything else that isn't a, a, a well for me, that's actually a hole, and I keep falling in. I need you at the center of my life. And I just felt the, the Lord saying, for some of you, that today's that day. But others of you have been living your life as an insider, just leaning on the fence. Yeah, prayed that prayer. Oh, yeah, got baptized on that day. Oh, been going to church for 25 years. But inside, you're empty and thirsty. It's been a long time since you had a drink. That's why Paul says to the Ephesian church, don't get drunk on wine. You're like, is drunkenness a offense? No, but he says, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Like, in other words, you are filling yourself with that because it makes you feel good, but the next day it doesn't make you feel good, and so you need it again. He said, be filled up like you would drink alcohol to the point where it has taken over your life. Drink in God like that to the point that it begins to influence how you see the world and how you act and how you walk and how you think. He said, that's what life in Jesus is. And so some of you may say, it doesn't actually matter. Even. I need to stop thinking about this, whether I'm in or not. Is Am I at the well? Am I seeking him? Am I trying to take him into the... That's why we talk about taking Jesus in. It is heaven inside you. It is the one who comes into you and begins to change you from the inside out. And so I have a, a few things for you as you're thinking about what this means. For some of you, you, you need to read the Gospels through this lens. Maybe you've never read and you, you read Scripture before. You don't know how it works. You don't know where, where do I begin. Start in the Gospel of Luke. It's a biography of Jesus. Luke wrote that one and Acts, which is the biography of the church. But read it through the lens of Jesus tearing down fences. Like, that'll be one of the most fresh ways you read that is saying, whoa, how is he tearing down those fences and actually bring, pointing people to himself? That's why people say, oh, Jesus was like a good teacher. No, he wasn't a good teacher. A good teacher teaches people something and points them to the teaching. God points people to himself. He wasn't just a teacher. He's saying, teaching's good, come to me. You need me. For others of you, you need to ask this question. Is this a fence? You know, have I put a fence between me and the people around me? Do the people in my neighborhood, in my workplace, whatever, look at me and think they can't approach me because I'm holy? Because I do certain things. Have I actually built walls that need to be torn down between me and the people that I do life with? Have I actually kept myself on the outside because I think, well, I'm not ready to go inside because I don't do this and I don't do that and whatever, and saying, no, this is a fence. I need to actually realize Jesus is inviting me into something. Is it a fence in your life that you're leaning on, that that's where you're, when someone says, oh, oh I'm a Christian, yeah, been that, oh, yeah, got that, you know, got that thing, check that box, got that certificate, I did that thing. Is it a fence you're leaning on? But inside, you're dry, empty, thirsty, chasing everything that promises to fill you. Another question some of us need to ask is, is this a well? Forget asking, can I do this? Is it a well? 
Or is it just a distraction? Is it something that's not going to actually work for you? And what you need is Jesus. The beauty of this is, is we get to encounter Jesus in his family, the church. It isn't just this private spiritual experience. It's actually beginning to experience him together. And so what we want to do for the rest of this morning is just give you some time. Worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a few songs to actually think about this. We also have a couple of people over here and over here uh, for prayer. If you're in that boat saying, I, I, I've never actually said you and no other. I've been sort of dancing around the edge of this and I'm not really sure whether, it's like, no, I know I need to build my life around this now. I know it's you. And if you've never actually said that, that there's something significant and powerful when we actually say, Jesus, okay, come in, take the wheel you and nobody else. I'll spend the rest of my life figuring out the rest with you. If you want someone to, to say, how do I even do that? You want someone to pray with you to do that, you can do that. Others of you may say, man, I am so thirsty inside. and I, I just need more of that living water. You can come up and just receive prayer for that. As you're singing, these songs are all about that, but you don't have to sing. You can sit. You can just use this time to pray, to hear God through the words. Um, but whatever, however it is you need to to come. I just want to invite you as we say, oh, we're a community. All of us in this room need more, need him at the center. Wherever you are, take these next few minutes just to move closer to him. The best thing that I could bless you with this morning, um, two things actually. One is just the word thirst. That God would just stir up a greater thirst for him. And maybe for some of you, that's a weird way to even have thought about God before. When you realize he's living water, that's the only requirement is thirst. So I want to bless you with that. And secondly, for those of you that maybe the fence has been really clear for you, but Jesus has been fuzzy, I want to bless you with a fresh vision of seeing Jesus for who he is and actually seeing his invitation to you. That everything else will... Well, maybe if it's blurry, but he will be so clear to you. Would you receive that? Thank you so much for coming. Just have a seat for a couple of quick announcements.